Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show the motoring claims guru, the man who knows more about car insurance than the insurance companies would like him to know, uh, the one, the only, Mr. Tim Kelly. Tim, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you very much for inviting me, Mark. It's my pleasure. What exactly is the motor claims guru, and why are you so unique? As you say on your social media, I am unique. Go on, because I thought I was the one that was unique. Um, the reason why I'm unique is that I'm the only person in the country, if not the world, doing what I do. Uh, and what I do is I work as a consumer advocate, and I assist consumers when they're actually fighting against insurance companies or where they feel the insurance company isn't being fair with them. So my background is that I started off as a mechanic, I was an engineer, I worked in the multi trade, moved on to working in, in insurance companies, um, so I, I understand the claims process inside out, but the primary part of what I do is I'm an engineer, so I assess vehicles, Yeah. and I'm very well qualified as an engineer, so I actually operate as an expert witness as well, so there's a lot right. of things I can go into as that, so I, I go yeah. into court and it's and provide reports for them. But basically what happened was that I worked in the insurance industry for the best part of 15, 16 years, yeah. got made redundant twice, and then I realised that all the things I've been taught whilst I worked for insurance companies was false. And what happened was the company I've got now is going to be called something completely different. And as I started doing my research about the company name and what I do, um, what I did expanded in terms of what I intended to do. So initially I was looking at helping people with valuations on their vehicles. Yeah and I was going to be called a completely different name. I then realised people didn't look for that and it then meant I had to become multi-claim guru rather than this kind of total loss guru was my initial thing. Yeah. And because I was dealing with multi-claims as a, a larger thing, it then meant I needed to know, know more about that kind of process than what I did. And I then realised, as I said, that everything that I'd been taught all the last 15, 16 years was, was wrong. Uh, so, just what in it, motor insurance is always considered to be a bit of a, a dark art. and. It's something we all pay for, well theoretically we should all pay for every year and we pay a lot of money hoping never to actually avail ourselves of it. It's one of those peculiar things, we buy something that we hope we'll never use. But there are times with car insurance where, to put it bluntly, the insurance company will squirm if there's a claim gone in. They do, well the, the main thing with insurance companies is the things that they try to do is basically they deny, delay and defend. Yeah. So the main way they would work is they'll, they'll try and deny, deny something's happened, they'll delay it as long as they can because it's a war of attrition. Yeah. And <clears> then if you've got a claim against them, say for example it's a, a non-fault accident, then they'll try and defend it as much as they can because yeah. the last thing they want to do is pay out on it. So yeah. yeah, that is exactly what they do. But the other side of it is that people don't realise is that insurance companies, they think that's the primary business that they earn profit from, but it's not. So insurance companies as a whole, it's a secondary business. No. So the, the whole part of insurance, it, it's just They've like got that. to be making the profit off what I'm shelling out at times. You'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. What they do is, if you actually look at what insurance companies make, uh, it's, there's something called the combined operating ratio. Mm. So what that is, is the amount of money they take in for the amount of money they spend out. Well, yeah. Most insurance companies, it's quite small. But what they do is, and this is the reason why it's a secondary business, not a primary business, is that 
they take your money from your premium and then they invest it. Yeah. So if you don't make a claim and they invest your money, they make money. Yeah. Okay. Well, they'll make hundred percent profit in a roundabout way, yeah, won't well, they? And that's what they're doing with it. So if they invest your money and it loses money, mm. they've not lost money. They've lost your money. Yeah. So as long as you don't claim, yeah, they've not lost. So, so they still, still they still quids. So they still quids it. Yeah. And that's the way it works. So what they basically do is the whole way insurance companies work is they actually design to not make money, because what they want to do is they want to take your premiums away and use them to buy assets in you know in shares and capital and, yeah. and any other type of finance. So it's like a stocks and shares yeah, game. That's it. It. Yeah. So and that's where they make the money outside of it. But what they need to do from their side of it is it's not necessarily about them making profit, but they need to make sure they don't make a loss. Right. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but <laughs> that's the reason why they are as tight as what they can do. So in terms of what you, if you make a claim and your car might be worth, for example, £10,000, they'll try to value it at less than what you might think it's worth. Yeah. Or something like house insurance is another side of it. I, I specialise in Malta, but house insurance is a really good example for it because what they'll do is when you make a claim, uh, they'll have a loss adjuster. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're adjusting their loss, they're trying to reduce their settlement. So rather than somebody going out and saying, let's evidence the whole loss you've got and put it forward and saying that's what it is and got it, they they work the other way around. So they're trying to reduce their, their loss all the time. Yeah. Right, so if a car's worth £10,000, if it's in an accident, they don't want it to be worth £10,000. Well, this is where it gets tricky. So the things, so things that we spoke about uh, the other week in terms of what's going on in the industry at the moment, and this these are the things that are quite significant, is that going back to pre-COVID times, things were a bit simpler but insurance companies would still have the same practices and what you'd have is that in the event your vehicle's a total loss hmm. what they'd do is they'd reference guides that are used in the industry so these are basically glasses guide evaluator yeah uh, cap motor research and then there's another one called kazana which is changed kazoo so they look at the three different guides and then they value the vehicle on that basis so they like take a mean average yeah something like that is so they try to determine what the market value would be but what they do is they look at the guides and look which one kind of falls out of bed the other two so yeah. if one guide was massively <coughs> higher they dismiss it yeah and then look at the other two for it but what's happened recently is that uh, because of covid the used car marketplace has changed dramatically and then because the value of used cars now is going silly, isn't it? It's going absolutely crazy. Now, the reason being for that is that because the new car marketplace is that there's a shortage in silicon chips, so we were discussing that before. Yeah. But also, there's things in terms of the raw materials needed for them. Uh, has Well, it's been restricted massively, but also things like, because of Ukraine, that's something else, because wiring looms for a lot of the German vehicles are made over there. But you've also got the, the effects of Brexit, you had the effects of the Suez Canal being blocked, so there's massive part shortages in the background, which... Because just putting in, part, most manufacturers are, if, even if you order a new car off them, are unable to tell you precisely how long it will be from ordering your new car to you going to collect it. Yeah, that's it. So the build dates have just gone further and further in the future. Now what's happened then is that because there's been a massive shortage of new vehicles in the marketplace, that's then started bringing up second-hand car, pr yep. car prices. Now the way this links to insurance claims is that the three guides that would mainly be used, what they would do is they work on a depreciation model. Yeah. So if a car was worth ten grand six months ago, it might be worth nine thousand five hundred pound. Three months ago, it might be worth nine thousand pound now. But what's happened is that the marketplace has changed, and these vehicles that would have been normally depreciated are going up in value. Yeah. So what you've got now is that the guides that the insurance companies use don't correlate to the marketplace. So it means that if you have an accident and your car's a total loss and you're expecting it to be to be able to go out and replace it, 
because the insurance companies use these guides mm. it means that they're also working from data which is at least a month old yeah and the data they're using is a lot of the time incorrect so as a consumer it can massively disadvantage you because there could be a big shortfall between what they pay out or they expect to pay out and what you deem to be what you'll cost to go out and replace it yeah because certain policies it's a case of it's like new for old isn't it you can get they will try and source you a car if it's a write-off more or less exactly the same as the one that's been written off um, there's not many insurance companies that do that the way they'll do it though is that there's a part on the policy which is called new vehicle replacement so generally there's certain conditions uh, on the contract where they'll do that so if the vehicle's less than a year old and below a certain type of mileage for it and they know the repair cost on the vehicle will be a certain amount then what they'll then do is they'll say well on that basis because it's less than a year old then they'll do new vehicle replacement yeah the thing again that's affecting the insurance industry at the moment is they can't get the new vehicles now what we'll then have is then go well in the event that we can't replace your vehicle then we'll pay out the market value yeah so they'll refer back to the guys to look at the value but what you've then got is that the market value of the vehicle a good example uh audis yeah so audis and land rovers are the prime ones for this at the moment but most vehicles in general so what a lot of the dealers are doing is, because they know there's such a short, shortage in supply on these new vehicles, they're then contacting previous owners yeah. and saying, we've got a buyer for your car, we sell it back to us. Yeah. So what's I mean, I've, I've heard about this, and ironically enough, <coughs> with you saying Land Rovers, I know two people who've bought the new <coughs> Defenders, and within 12 months of buying them, the dealer has been back onto them. Would you like to part with it? To a degree, we can probably pay you more than you paid for it for it. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, <coughs> exactly what's happening. Now, the issue that's got, for certainly for somebody like me, as an engineer who inspects vehicles and then values them, yeah. is that if the guys don't represent the marketplace, what I'll do is I'll go away and do market research. I mm. can compile a report and go, well, I've got a report and I've done my research and this is what it says. But I need to look at examples of the marketplace to do that. And yeah. The issue that we've got is that because the dealers are going directly to their previous customers and buying the vehicles off them directly, they never appear. So it then means as an engineer, I don't have any evidence that I can rely on to substantiate that this dealer's gone out and paid seven grand more money, seven grand more for it than what it would have been in the market. So if a dealer buys a vehicle off an existing customer, it technically doesn't appear anywhere because no. it'll just go from its previous owner, its first owner, to its next owner because the dealer technically won't have anything to do with it. I know he will do. Yeah, but they'll, they'll make the profit on it. Yeah. But like I said, it'll never end up in a forecourt it'll never get advertised anywhere yeah so like I said from my point of view I can't go away and provide evidence to put in my report to substantiate the reason why these vehicles are worth more money yeah but what it then does is it then means that from a consumer's point of view if you've got a vehicle of this type that's relatively new that's in demand that on the one hand you've got the guys undervaluing your car yeah you're then being told that you need to substantiate the reason why your vehicle is worth more money by providing examples yeah you can't provide more examples you come to me as an expert doing what I do, and I, like I said, provide two different services from that side of it, where on the one hand, I act as an engineer valuing vehicles, but I also act in such a way where I'll negotiate with the insurance company on your behalf. Yeah. But I'm getting to the situation where I'm getting stuck because <laughs> I can't find the evidence in the marketplace because the dealers are getting the cars before they even come for sale and sell them to somebody else. Yeah. So as a consumer, there's a real issue of detriment there, whereas you could be financially a lot worse off than yeah. you know what you were when before your car was damaged. So the things that you could should be doing then is that the question you might be asking me then is, what do I do in that situation? Well, the primary thing you need to be doing is, if the repair cost on the vehicle are less than the market value, 
you want to be pushing as much as you can to get the vehicle repaired. Yeah. That's the main thing I would advise anybody at the moment as well. And the other thing is that you need to also understand that you have the right to choose whoever it is who repairs your car as well. So the insurance. Because that's one thing a lot of insurance companies insist that a car repair goes to a specific place. Um, I know people who will say, no, I don't want it to go there. I want it to go. I don't want it to go to where I want it to go to be. And they, they, I've known wrangles break out because they don't want it to go to where the insurance company wants it to go. Yeah, and it, well, you've you've got the complete legal entitlement to to choose where your car goes to. So you can choose to whoever it is repairs your car. Yeah. Uh, the insurance company can't do anything about that, but they'll try. So things that they'll try to do is that it's always very important that when you're taking a policy out, that you make sure that you read all the terms and conditions of that policy before you do it. Yeah. Now, what insurance companies are now trying to do is so basically it's called steerage. So they're trying to steer you as a consumer away from your choice of repair into their network. Yeah. And the reason being is that a lot of the contracts these repairers work under with the insurance company, uh, they make very little profit and the labour rates are very low and you'll find that they're very bonus incentivised. Yeah. And the quality of the repairs, there's a lot of repairers out there that do, do really good quality of work, mm. but to make their profit, they're reliant on a large volume of work going through. Now, or doing it as quickly as possible. Yeah, or what you may also find as well is, and there's a lot of insurance companies doing this uh, that didn't do it in the past, but you might well find that if you use your insurance company's approved repairer, yeah. that they'll fit second-hand parts on your car. Oh. On, on original parts. Yeah. Now, if you've got an older vehicle that might be 10-year-old, you know, it might it not, might make, not make a lot of difference, really, no. might it? But if you've got a vehicle that's two or three-year-old, then it's highly likely that it'll invalidate the, the paint warranty on the vehicle. Yeah. Highly likely will invalidate, invalidate the anti-corrosion warranty on your vehicle, but also and certainly in the situation where, um, if you're fitting second-hand parts to your vehicle, and it was you've had an accident that's not your fault, yeah, then you have different sets of entitlement in law than what you would normally do through claim through your insurance company. Mm. So there's an aspect of law called tort law. So to, so a tort, T-O-R-T, it's yeah. called a civil wrong. Now. When somebody crashes into you and you're subject to a civil wrong, you're entitled to be put back in the situation you were in prior to your loss. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you've had new parts in your vehicle before that were from the manufacturer. Yeah. If you've got a relatively new car. Yeah. So why would you want a second-hand one on there? Yeah. Or an original one? Now, there's another part of uh, what you can do when you're claiming under this civil wrong. It's called diminution in loss. Hmm. So diminution in loss is basically the diminished value of the car as a result of being involved in the accident nothing to do with the repair cost it's purely having that knowledge that the car has been involved in an accident it would mean that even though it's been repaired correctly mm. in the event of an accident and it's been done fantastically both vehicles are at a point of sale so you've got a vehicle that hasn't been damaged and one that has yeah it's highly likely that the one that's been damaged is going to be worth less than the one that hasn't yeah now the issue you've got is that if you're fitting second-hand parts of the vehicle it's highly likely it's going to be worth less yet again. Yeah. But it also then means if you try to present a claim to the insurance company on the on the other side, they'll reject it because they'll go, well, the vehicle's not lost value as a result of being involved in the accident. It's because you've, your body shop has chosen to sit second-hand bits on it. Yeah. So there's well, I think the other problem with second-hand bits <coughs> is there's no warranty on a second-hand part, is there? If it's been previously used, it could be damaged itself. It could, but it also... It I'm not creates, saying it will be. Yeah, but it, it also creates massive issues for the actual body shop. So I I provide a range of different services. So I provide services to consumers, uh, but what I also do is actually provide consultancy services to body shops. Yeah. And I teach them about business, um, how to make profit, how to deal with insurance companies. But a lot of the things I actually do is I teach consumer law to them. 
And the thing that they miss out on is that if they're working with an insurance company and this insurance company says, like, right, we want you to fit second-hand bits on this car, yeah. the liability of the repair of that vehicle lies with the repairer, not with the insurance company. Right. Now, as a consumer, if you feel that car's not been repaired correctly, then under the 2015 Consumer Rights Act, you've got the right to reject goods. Yeah. So you could go, I'm not happy with the repair of that. Uh, I want you to redo it as an example. So mm. part of the Consumer Rights Act... And the onus is on the repair shop, not the insurance company. It is. But what happens then is that uh, if the vehicle is faulty, and the, the reason why it's faulty is a result of that second end part, yeah. then you've got a right to actually ask for that rework, that work to be redone. Yeah. So then they may then have to take off that second part, hand part and fit a new part. At their, well, own, at their own expense. At their own expense. Or even worse than that, from a body shop's point of view, is that where as a consumer you've lost faith in that original repairer yeah. which in most cases is highly likely if you look at your car and it's been repaired shockingly and it's got second hand bits on it you yeah. don't really want to go back you don't to want to go back there do you yeah. but it would then mean that you've got the right to take your vehicle to a manufacturer approved repairer yeah. and get it rectified correctly using all and these send, and send the bill to the original repairer pretty much yeah you take him th- so you take him to court to do it but it then means that this original repairer that's working with the insurance company yeah the insurance company that sound of, you know they washed their hands of it it's not their problem yeah but you as a repairer can okay, end up with a, a massive bill for the rectification cost of this vehicle as a result of using second hand bits on it yeah and you've prejudiced yourself by contracting the insurance company to do that so there's real things issues not just on behalf of consumers but also on behalf of body shops at the side of it as well it's, yeah. it's a real dangerous situation that they're putting themselves in <laughs> and if i was a body shop I, I wouldn't be contracting with any insurance company yeah. because fundamentally it's your business and you should be choosing who repairs your car well you're not who repairs your car but as a body shop you should be choosing how you repair the vehicle yeah because you're you're responsible for it yeah and certainly in terms of uh when you're contracting with an insurance company as well what you've also got is an engineer like me acting on their behalf and when they want to uh basically negotiate costs with you they'll be trying to dictate how your car is repaired as well. Yeah. So this again is something where if you're choosing your own repairer to repair your vehicle for them, they're acting on your behalf, not the insurance companies. So again, it gives you more faith that because you're going to your own repairer and choosing to them to repair your car, yeah. that they're gonna repair it to the manufacturer's standards using the correct methodology repair, the correct yeah. parts, the correct materials that you need and processes. So it then means that you've got somebody else in your corner working for you, basically. Right. So, I mean, the other the other problem is, and I'm just going to use Citroen as an example. It isn't unique to this manufacturer, but if a modern Citroen gets a bump on its front near side corner, at one point in time, you might have replaced a wing and you might replace the bumper. <laughs> now, they have to repair, they have to remove and replace more or less the entire front of the car because of how the modern car is constructed and when they take all the plastic shrouding off the bumper as such is like a bar okay it's got shock absorbers on to absorb initial impact but that will want replacing so what was a few years ago a simple repair is now quite a sizable repair because of the construction of the modern car and therefore is now quite an expensive repair compared to how much it would have cost previously. And this is what the body shops and the insurance companies will have to take into account, isn't it? Yeah, but there's that and there's much more as well. So what you've got with modern vehicles is it's not just the actual construction methods. Uh, what you've also then got is advanced driver assistance systems. Yeah. So most vehicles now will have radar in the front of them. Mm. Uh, so something as innocuous as, as a small bump in a car park on your front bumper. Yeah. Uh, 
could be a lot more serious than you think because behind the front bumper or behind the front grille might be a radar sensor or yeah. a sonar sensor and if that's been knocked out of the tree that that controls things like your automatic emergency braking yeah uh, you've got brake assist which puts your brakes on even sooner uh, but also things like if you're doing uh, automatic cruise control it's looking at the distances between you and the car in front and yeah. when you drive along if that sensor's pointing the wrong direction if it's pointing at the floor it then means it could actually affect how the car performs. Yeah. So something as simple as a, a little accident like that, and this again is it's a good reason to make sure that whoever's repairing your car uh, has access to the correct repair methodology. For well, the it knows what they're doing. Yeah. Well, things like with anything to do with advanced driver assistance systems. So I'll just say it's, it's called an ADAS system. Yeah. Easier to say rather than the, the whole advanced driver assistance side of it. So the thing you got with well, the thing you got with ADAS systems is that they need recalibrating. Mm. And basically, it could be anything as simple as you've got a wheel that's been banged. Yeah. Now that you, you might think, well, why do we need the advanced driver assistance system recalibrating when it's just a wheel? Well, the reason being is that uh, the height of the suspension, things like tire pressures, can affect them. Yeah. The geometry of the vehicle. So if you think that if the vehicle doesn't actually steer in the right direction and it's slightly out, then the vehicle needs to know it's going in a straight line. Yeah. So something as simple as Again, you might have gone down a pothole and give it a bad bang or something, you know, somebody drove into Which isn't unusual these days. No. Where if that vehicle then, when it's been repaired, hasn't had the geometry done, and then the ADAS again recalibrated to make sure it's right, yeah. it then means that it might not be performing as it should have done, as intended by the manufacturer. So the way vehicles are in terms of how advanced they are, it's, it's a lot more complex. But again, as a consumer, uh, you need to basically have this knowledge and be carrying out your own research before you contact your own insurance company and reading your policy details, even better go on my website, yeah. www.multiclaimguru.co.uk. Tons of free information on there, tons of free resources. I've got thousands and thousands of pages on it going through all your consumer rights. Uh, as a consumer, when you're dealing with an insurance company, the best way to claim. If you have an accident, whether it's your fault or somebody else's fault, is it is it best to claim through your insurance company? Do I use a credit hire company, an accident management company? Do I deal with the insurance company then? third-party insurance company directly uh, I've got the pros and cons of how to do that yeah. so all free things in terms of if you weren't happy with the valuation of your vehicle again I'll tell you how to you know it's always best if you instruct me to help you yeah but you can do 90% of what I do by reading my website for free right and it's all about educating yourself before you do it because the way uh, it works with insurance companies is that they are professional litigators they've got you know they deal with insurance claims daily, day in, day out. They are polished professionals at what they're doing, whereas most people, it might be the first time they've had an accident. Yeah. So from the very forefront, and you're more concerned because you're still in shock, you've had an accident, you're mm. upset, you're emotional, and you just want to report it and get it sorted out. The other thing is your car could be your lifeline as such, and it could be it could. your only car. You, you, you need it back, or you need a set of wheels in your driveway. Yeah, and more importantly than that, it's, it's the second biggest investment you'll ever make in your life, generally, mm. so next to your house. So making sure you actually protect your investment and making sure that whatever you do is in your best interest and not in the insurance of the insurance company's interest, Yeah, it's fundamental to what you're doing. So, And the best way of doing that is by educating yourself before you do. So... Like I said, go on my website, have a good read around it. Uh, tons and tons of free information on there. And then when you get to a situation where you think, actually, Tim, this is a bit more than what I thought I could do with, then yeah. there's a lot of perform well, there's a lot of things I can do as a consultant where yeah. I can help you out. Uh, but 
the kind of thing that I've I've done is that I've gone from basically being a gamekeeper to a poacher. Yeah. Uh, so I I love what I do. They'll love you with insurance companies, won't they? Oh, they. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird as well. Uh, I'm talking to Tim Kelly. Oh no. It's, and I say there's a lot of insurance companies that do that, but when I first started off, they absolutely despised me with a passion. Whereas what's happened now is it's kind of gone full circle. Whereas a lot of them respect me because yeah. the way. Again, the question you might ask me is, well, how do you do what you do when you're dealing with insurance companies? And what, at the start of the conversation, you said to me, so what is it that's unique about you? What's unique about me is that, uh, aside from having knowledge of the insurance industry and being an engineer, which in itself is kind of one thing, I'm an expert in insurance law, consumer law, contract law, but the primary part of where my, the tools that I use are to do with the regulations by which insurance companies must abide by. Right. So what you've got, the whole, in, the whole financial industry works on this, this premise basis. So not just insurance, it's just everything. So we, as uh, the electorate, elect somebody to represent us in Parliament. So you've yeah. got a member of Parliament. The members of Parliament are there to make sure that the general population are protected. So in the financial industries, what they'll do is they'll need to make sure there's laws that apply that control industries from taking the mickey out of us. So there's a specific regulation, well, a specific law, which is statute, which is called the Financial Service and Markets Act 2000. So this relates to banking, mortgages, insurance, everything. Now now we have this law, you need a regulator to look after it, which is the Financial Conduct Authority. In the event that you're not happy, there needs to be an arbiter. So that's the Financial Ombudsman Service. So at some point, if you've got an arbiter looking at a complaint, they need to know why it is you're not happy and what regulations might not be yeah. abided by. So what you've got then is that uh, the Financial Conduct Authority has regulations specific to this, what industry it is. So the one that's specific to insurance is called ICOPS, which is called the Insurance Conduct to Business Standards. And the tools that I use is basically, I've memorized every regulation through all the way through the book. Yeah. Now what you've got is that, in general, 90% of the people who work for an insurance company don't know the regulations. So right. half of them don't even know that they're even there in the background, let alone know... Because you get the feeling at times when you ring up to insure your car, you speak to somebody who's always very nice, he asks you a load of questions and tells you that it's being recorded and everything else, then he runs through a set of questions, parrot fashion, to which you will answer yes or no, then he presses a button and technically spits out two or three quotes and he'll say, this one's the best one, do you want that one? Yes, give us your credit card number, bingo, off you go. Yeah, so... In the the kind of direction I'm but, looking but at. Putting it, they don't actually need to know all the laws. I mean, technically, well, I could do that, couldn't I? Yeah, so, I mean, the side you're looking at is kind of the sales side of it, so I'll come back to that in a second. The bit that where I help people is on the claim side of it, yeah. and that's where the regulations are more relevant. But going back to the sales side of it, there's things there that are really important that you just kind of touched on, probably without realising it. So what you've got is that if you're actually speaking to an insurance company, so this is something, if you're a listener at the moment, this is something really, really important that you need to know. If you're buying your vehicle insurance through a price comparison website or on the internet, it's called a non-advised sale. So what you've got in a non-advised sale is they're relying on the information you provide them yeah. to make sure the policy you're buying is fit for what you want. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're not a professional. No. So you're just going on there and thinking, well, that'll do. Yeah. It's cheap. It's worth. Never buy on price. Always make sure you read through the policy terms and conditions before you actually click on it, because what you might find is, certainly on some price comparison websites, so I won't mention the main ones will be, just for any reasons that they might try and come back at us, but uh, you might find that when you click on a price comparison website for a policy, the policy might be 10 months rather than 12 months. Yeah, all right. 
So you might well find, yeah, it's a cheap quote, but it, it's two months shorter it's two than you're short expecting. Twelve months. Uh, it might have restrictions on it. So what I said to you about the steerage aspects of uh, insurance companies trying to steer you away from using their repairer, what you might find is that they might try and put an increased excess on your policy. Yeah. Now there's things where I, I deal with that side of it. So people, so again, this is something contrary to most people's belief, where they'll say, "Well, it's in the contract. I have to abide by it because it's in the contract." Mm. But they're actually separate. So when I say, "Look, I'm an expert in consumer law," the bits where this comes into it is that just because something's in a contract doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it's applicable. So right. things you've got is you've got unfair terms and conditions and consumer contract regulation mm. in 1999. And what that basically says is that where a contract's pre-drafted. Well, if you've gone on the internet and got a policy, it's yeah. pre-drafted. Where the terms and conditions in that contract can cause financial detriment to a consumer, mm. because it's it favours the insurance company. Yeah. Then where that term has been put in that policy, it should be redacted from the policy, as if though it never existed. Yeah. So, you can have something in a contract there. Whereas again, they're trying to do things in their favour all the, all the time and yeah. steer it away. Whereas unless you have that little snippet of information, thinking, well, just because something's in a contract. It's applicable. Well, actually, no. It might be an unfair term and condition in the consumer contract. It doesn't. It can alter your buying process. So, what you want to really do is, if an insurance company or indeed any contract you enter into has got terms that are going to be put you in a financially worse situation, yeah, you probably don't want to agree to it, really. Yeah. Because otherwise, you need to fight them. And why would you want to fight when all you want to do is just make your life easy? So, yeah. before you even buy a contract, you might think, God, I've not got the time to do that. Tim. Well. The consumers I deal with are the ones who haven't done that, yeah. and I'm dealing with the really nasty stuff at the back end of it. Whereas I'm fighting insurance companies to make sure that they get, you know, the right protection, and then they get the right compensation at the end of it that they wouldn't have done had they have not known. It's much easier. So even though really I should be selling the services because of what I do, it's, yeah. it's actually much easier to not need me and just read the contract before you do. Right. So when you're on a price comparison website, if you see a quote that you think is a good price for you. And there's other tips I can give you in terms of how to make it cheaper as well, which is other things you can do. But read through it and then compare it against other policies because you might find that if you purely look at the policy on the basis of price, you might find actually it doesn't give you the full extent of cover you think it would do. Right. Uh, and that could be anything in terms of guaranteed hire cars if your vehicle's off the road or in the event your vehicle's a total loss. So another quick one I'll touch on is that most people think that in the event of an accident that the insurance company provides your car. Yeah. And they don't. Absolute fallacy. The body shop who's an approved repairer provide that car as a courtesy car. So there's a distinct distinction there. Yeah. So it's a courtesy car, not a hire car. So it's a car given to you out of courtesy whilst your vehicle's repaired. Yeah. Now, as a consumer, if your vehicle's a total loss, they're not repairing your car. So it means that you might not get a car because you're not repairing it. So yeah. you're then stuck <laughs> for going to work or whatever. So things like reading the contract and actually finding out yeah I'll pay an additional sum for a guaranteed hire car in the event that my vehicle's a total loss yeah. because you, you want to make sure that you, you can move basically so it's things like that now going back about 10 minutes ago at the start where I said to, about buying a policy there's another thing whereas if you actually speak to an insurance company directly it's different so you've got something called an advised sale mm. so this is the difference between going online as a non-advised sale and then either dealing with a broker or speaking to an insurance company directly and then you've got an advice sale. Now what they should then do is they have to do something whereas they need to establish that it fits your demands and needs yeah. and fulfills it. So because if they don't sell you something that fulfills your demands and needs, they've missold it. Yeah. Which affects like PPI claims, that's why you could claim off it because they were selling things that you didn't need. Yeah. 
Same thing with car insurance. So they should be asking you specific questions about what your demands and needs are. And certainly if I had a really nice car that I've invested my savings into, I want to make sure that vehicle's getting repaired correctly. And I'd want to make sure that it's getting repaired probably by the manufacturer yeah. because of how advanced vehicles are and because of all the equipment and additional systems that are on it. And I'll be asking that specific question with the insurance company saying, like, right, well, part of my demands and needs are is in the event I have an accident, I don't want to make a claim, but when I do need to make a claim, I want to make sure my car's been repaired correctly. Yeah. So, is there anything that's going to stop me from me choosing my own repairer? So, are you going to put any barrier in front of me? So, is there any, any increased excess or anything like that on it? Because I don't want that. Yeah. I want to not have to pay extra to exert my right of choice to use my own repairer. And I want to make sure that when it does go to my repairer, Rather than going to your repairer, that it gets fitted with new parts, yeah. not second-hand parts or non-original parts, and that I know that it's then being reinstated back to its pre-accident uh, condition, condition yeah. as it would have been from the manufacturer. So something as simple as that. Whereas it's just important then that whatever you buy, however you buy a policy, whether it is through either a price comparison website as a non-advised sale, or speaking with the broker and the insurance company as an advised sale that you've got something that fits your demands and needs. It does what you want it to do on the packet. Tim Kelly, it's been fascinating, if at times, confusing.com. <laughs> Free plug for somebody there. As I said, I mentioned Citroen as an example. It was not specific to them. So Citroen, if you're listening, don't get too upset. But Tim Kelly, motor claims guru. Motor claim guru. Motor claim guru. Yeah, no, no S in it. No People S in it. search the wrong thing. Thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. As Tim has said, it's all the W's, motorclaimguru.co.uk. All the information you need is on there. If there's information you can't find on there, uh, Tim's the sort of bloke who will uh, talk to you and sort your potential problems out. But I hope you've learned a lot, because I've learned a lot, of the mystic art of car insurance. Well, Tim Kelly, thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, man.